Brought to you by the WZIP Sports Team, this is Sports Power Talk Overtime. Featuring in-depth interviews. I didn't really plan to ask this, but since you brought it up, what's it like kind of having like your own meme? Like, how does that make you feel? <laughs> Exclusive original content. He crosses paths with another best of the world. Oh, that gets you excited, don't it? Oh, that gets me excited. And, of course, the hottest takes. My dad used to have this saying, if you don't like the series, you don't like football. Over well, I say I'm a pretty big football fan, and I despise the Steelers. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> so get ready, because it's time for SPT Overtime. It is overtime for the best sports talk show there is, was, and ever will be. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Sports Power Talk Overtime. I'm Jake Murren, and I'm joined by Alex Henry. What's up, everybody? And this is the biggest and baddest podcast Alex and I have ever done. You already know we're going to talk about mixed martial arts and the UFC, but International Fight Week is upon us. This week brings the best card of the year on paper without a doubt. Plus, when I said this is the biggest and baddest podcast we've ever done, it's not because of the caliber of the card. It's because we're not predicting four or five fights like we usually do. We're here to predict eight fights on this stacked podcast. Alex, are you ready for this? I'm so excited. Every single fight in itself could be a main card fight that we're breaking down. Absolutely. I'm very excited to break these fights down. As am I. Well, before we get started, let's get a quick recap of the standings, a quick standings update. Alex, you're still ahead at 16 and 5, while I still trail slightly behind at 14 and 7. But without further ado, let's get to UFC 276, Adesanya versus Cannoneer at the T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas. Like I said, we have eight fights to cover, so let's start with some of the best veterans in the game in Jim Miller and Donald Cerrone. Jim Miller is the minus 210 favorites in this welterweight clash. Both men coincidentally have round one wins over Charles Oliveira. Miller is 34-16 with one no contest, six wins by KO, 18 wins by sub. He hasn't lost since August of 2020. He's tallied three wins since, and his last two wins have come by KO. For Donald Cowboy Cerrone, he's 36-16 with two no contests, a very similar record. Last fight was a first-round KO loss to Alex Morono on May 8th of last year. And he's been in training camp for a while because he was supposed to fight Joe Lozon at UFC 274. And on June 18th, the veteran steps into this fight on short notice. Alex, who do you have in this welterweight clash? Yeah, I mean, you said it's battle of the vets right here. You talked about um, Joe dropping his fight to Donald uh, twice, and uh, Donald Cerrone had to cut to lightweight both times, but they're going to middleweight here, uh, so he didn't have to worry about that. Um, let's talk about Jim Miller. He's a veteran boxer uh, and grappler, but he's not necessarily the best wrestler. He's on a two-fight win streak, both by knockout, and he still has a lot of power in his fist, but with age, you you know you start to lose your chin a little, and uh, that same thing can be said about Donald Cerrone. However, Cerrone is more of an all-around striker. He's got good kicks. He uh, takes time to find his rhythm, uh, but when he does, he starts to put it together. Um, he's not bad in the scramble. Um, you see him use his length a lot. He'll get arm bars, triangles from the bottom, 
And Donald Cerrone, he's fought really literally everybody. Um, I just think this is a way harder fight for Cerrone um, than Joe would have been. And Cowboy knocked out Miller in 2014 when Donald was in his prime, but I like Jim Miller here. It's pretty much based strictly off Jim Miller's last couple fights. Um, And Cerrone's taking this fight on late notice. But, you know, it's just two old guys past their prime. Anything can really happen, and it's going to be entertaining either way. But I'm taking Jim Miller. Jim A-10 Miller is the pick for Alex Henry. Talking about Miller, he also absorbs more strikes than he lands per minute. In the octagon, which is pretty concerning, has an average fight time of four or of nine forty-seven. Excuse me, but Miller he has that dog in him, and he can come back after losing a round and a half and can win any fight he's in. He can be sneaky with submissions as well. I mentioned his eighteen career wins by submission. I wouldn't be surprised if we see one of those come Saturday night. On Cerrone's side. Personally, I think Cerrone is just a little bit washed right now. Mm-hmm. And I think another fighter on this card is washed that we're going to get to in a little bit. But Cerrone, he has 10 wins by KO, 17 wins by sub, sure. But he's 0-5 with one no contest in his past six fights with three losses via first round TKO. He lands 4.43 strikes per minute. He's getting old at 39 years old. And his power and his landed strikes per minute have been significantly down in his recent fights, I don't think Cerrone has the cowboy in him anymore. Yeah. I don't I don't <laughs> see Donald Cowboy Cerrone as a legit fighter in today's age. And Jim Miller, both guys are getting old. You mentioned how it's just going to be two vets. Anything can happen. But I'm agreeing with your pick with Jim Miller. I just think he is not necessarily the more distinguished veteran. But at this point of their careers, I think Jim Miller is the toughest one the more proven, especially lately in their most recent fights. I think Jim Miller might even knock out Donald Cerrone potentially in the first round, but I do like the submissions here. I think Miller might even pick up a submission as well. Yeah, I could see both. Let's keep it with the welterweight division, though. The next fight is the future Ian Gary taking on Gabriel Gifted Green. The Irishman out of Gary, he's 9-0 in his career with five KO victories. He's 2-0 in the UFC with a round one KO over Jordan Williams and a decision win over Darian Weeks for Green, the Los Angeles native. He's 11-3 with three wins by KO and nine by submission. And he's 2-0 since losing his first appearance in the UFC. Who do you have in this welterweight fights again? This is Ian Gary's fourth fight in a year. And the UFC wants this kid to be a star. They're just pushing him, pushing him, pushing him. And with good reason, Ian Gary's super quick on his feet, great striking, and overall just really fast. He has a lot of potential, but I think he needs to work on his defense. He'll leave his chin open too much, and sometimes he'll struggle with high-level striking opponents. But he's also shown that he has a strong chin, so I don't know if that's too much of a worry right now. Uh, Gabe Green, he's more of a grappler, but he's known to have good hands. Um, He likes to work kicks, and uh, he lands a lot of his punches that he does throw. Uh, Gabe looked like he was going to lose his last fight, and then, boom, he got a knockout. And the reason he was losing, besides getting taken down twice, was that he got knocked down in the fight as well. 
Uh, Gabe also really struggles with defense. He averages seven significant strikes landed on him per minute. So while, yes, I think Ian Gary can be sloppy, you know, I just think if he's quick with his striking, I'm not sure that Gabe Green can handle that pressure. Uh, I don't know if Ian Gary's necessarily ready to be that UFC star that the UFC wants him to be what they're looking for. Uh, But I think this is going to be a really easy fight for him as long as he doesn't get caught, and I think Ian Gary takes the W. So I do agree with the pick. I don't think it's going to be as easy, so I'll say that right off the bat. On the green side, you mentioned his last fight, that second-round KO win over Johan Linus, and you also mentioned how he was taken down twice in that fight. So that's definitely a concern. If Ian Gary wants to take this fight to the ground, I think he could potentially get it to happen. But Green lands a lot of strikes per minute. He also absorbs a ton of strikes per minute. So his defense on the feet, he's got to sharpen that up against Ian Gary, who is a great striker. He's that Cage Warriors legend who trains out of Stanford MMA. He has a good amount of experience, even with his just two UFC fights. So it's really just going to come down to where this fight goes. And if it's going to be a striking battle, I like Gary. Even if it goes to the ground, I somewhat like Gary. But Green does have those submissions in his back pocket. 11-3 and record, like I said, but those nine wins by submission is critical here. Average fight time of 13.01. He only averages .77 takedowns per 15 minutes of octagon time. So that worries me too. If Gabe Green wants to get a submission, he's likely going to have to take Ian Gary to the ground. And I don't think he's going to be able to do that. I think Ian Gary outclasses him on the feet, so I'm also going to give this fight to Ian Gary. And I'm going to take this by decision here. I know Green has a suspect chin. As you said, he was knocked down in that fight against Johan, but I am going to take Ian Gary by submission here. Two down, six to go. Yeah, I don't think I said how Ian Gary's going to win. I said it was going to be easy, um, and I'm still backing that. I'll say by knockout second round. I could see that happening, too. I don't see him getting a submission. I could see a second or third round knockout, potentially a decision happening as well. But down two fights, six more. There we go. Another welterweight fight here. Uh, Robbie Ruthless Lawler taking on Brian Bam Bam Barbarena. And this is a fight that I'm really looking forward to. Lawler is 29-15 with one no contest. 72% of his wins are by KO. And he also has two title defenses on his record, but he is two and five in his last seven fights for Barbarena. He's 17 and eight with 10 wins by KO. And he's coming off of back-to-back decision wins over Darian Weeks and Matt Brown. Even though the Brown decision was controversial, it was still a war nonetheless. Who do you have in this third fight? Yeah, Robbie Lawler is a technical striker, has good technique. He's a pretty all right wrestler, but when it comes to getting into a scrap, he kind of falls apart every time. Um, and because all these brawls he's got into, uh, I think it's done a lot to him physically, especially now being 40 years old. Uh, Brian Barberena has a good gas tank. And because of this, he loves to brawl. Um, and it's really fun to watch. However, it seems all he really does is brawl, and his striking isn't really technical. And I think that's where Robbie can beat him. Uh, He's an okay grappler. You just don't see it a lot out of Brian. Um, My thing with Robbie Lawler 
is he's great until he isn't great. And what I mean by that is he starts losing about, and he it looks like he kind of gives up in recent years. And um, that should worry anyone that's betting on Lawler because Barbarina brings the pressure, and he brings a lot of volume striking. He landed 180 strikes versus Matt Brown, which was a match he was taken down five times, and 134 strikes versus Darren Weeks, where he got taken down four times. And early in his career, he had plenty of fights where he was near 200 strikes landed. Both fighters are getting old. Um, chins have been through the wire because of these brawls. I just think Barbarina's the better fighter. He's going to bring a lot of pressure and I'm expecting total destruction here, and I'm going to say knockout. So I'm going to say a statement here about Robbie Lawler, and I want you to tell me if it's true or not, okay? Okay. So I think his last win against Nick Diaz, that third-round KO, was a complete joke. I don't know if you agree with me on that. As in, he shouldn't have won that fight? Not even that, just the whole entire fight. Everything about it. Nick Diaz returning, I don't. I think for the memories, it was nice, mm-hmm. but I don't think it should have happened. And I was worried, as everybody was worried about his his drive to get back into the octagon. Whether it was, yeah, let me just collect that check, and I think that's what it was because mm-hmm. he just laid there on the mat in the third round. So Lawler got the KO win. That was how the fight ended. Right. But Lawler didn't look good in that fight. No, he didn't. He and, looked terrible. And yeah, I what I will say to that is I don't necessarily. Like, think uh, Robbie Lawler's um, legacy is any better because of that fight. I think he did more early in his career that showed him to be a better fighter than in that fight where he kind of fight fought a I don't know Wash Diaz who didn't seem like he wanted to be there. Dude. And he, I kind of look like he. I don't think he deserved it that no. win. Um, and Diaz was just throwing strikes to throw strikes. Yes. And they, there wasn't really power behind them. Yeah. And yet still Lawler was getting backed up at times. Mm-hmm. So what does that tell me about Lawler? Right. You know? And my next bullet point says Wall, or Lawler, I think he's just completely washed. I really yeah. do. I think he's completely washed. I think he shouldn't fight anymore. And honestly, he just can't compete with today's fighter. He's 40 or with today's fighters. At the age of 40 years old. He's an old fighter. His last fight, like I said, was a joke. He was fighting a guy who shouldn't have been in the octagon. And he still looked bad against that fighter. Robbie Lawler, you had those two title defenses on your record. You can go home, potential UFC Hall of Famer in the future. Mm-hmm. But right now, he should not be fighting. Brian Bam Bam Barberina, though. He's the younger fighter at 32 years old. He can compete in wars in the cage like we just saw against Matt Brown. Plus, he'll likely have a better gas tank here and will be the far superior fighter to Lawler on the feet, which is where I see this fight taking place. Like I said, Lawler completely washed Barbarina. He's going to take this fight to a war. He's going to throw strikes that actually have power behind them. And I see Barbarina easily, easily getting a KO win. Easily, easily. And you look at... Um, Robbie Lawler, he's only won one out of his last five fights, and one of those being Ben Askren, which was kind of a one-hit wonder. Yeah. And, you know, you look at guys like Neil Magny, I think is how you pronounce it. Yeah, it's you got it. It's kind of nobody as well. You know, he lost to Kobe Covington, RDA. But 
either way, he's definitely towards the end of his career. Needs to be done. And <laughs> I don't know if the UFC thinks the same thing, and they're just kind of trying to put him away here. But, uh, yeah, 100% washed. Yeah. I totally and, agree with your take. Two and five in his last seven fights. And I same thing with Nate Diaz, or Nick Diaz, excuse me, about drive to the octagon. What drives mm-hmm. Robbie Lawler right now? Yeah, Is it he, just that paycheck? Because, yeah, like I said, he gives up. Once he starts to lose a fight, he just gives up. Exactly. Completely washed. Shouldn't fight anymore. Mm-hmm. Barbarana, very entertaining. Takes fights, puts them into wars. Going to make this one a war as well. Lawler, I don't expect him to have that great of a gas tank. This could be a round one KO as far yeah. as I'm concerned. Robbie Lawler is a legend, though. I don't want people to yeah, of course he is. mistake what I'm saying, but he's been in the game forever. Yes. So his career is well over is what I think me and Jake are trying to say here. Yes, no disrespect, <laughs> even though it sounded like we were yeah. very disrespectful, yeah. which is fair, but I just I don't see anything that Robert, Robbie Lawler gives to the table right yeah. now. Yeah, and Brian Barbarina, he's a good fighter. He's yeah, actually a good right. fighter, so I'm not yeah. trying to discredit him either. He's genuinely a good fighter. Yeah, and I don't see Lawler like wrestling yeah. Barbara around like Matt Brown and Darian Weeks did either, like you mentioned. So we'll move on from that fight, though. Sorry to all the Robbie Lawler fans out there. <laughs> Didn't mean to offend anybody, but we just think Barbara is the better guy. What yeah, can we say? I agree. But let's get to the featured prelim, a fight that I'm really looking forward to. Number 14, lightweight in the world. It's Brad Quake Riddell taking on Jalen the Tarantula Turner. What a great nickname that is, by the way. That's yeah, fire. I'm obsessed with it. But Riddle, the New Zealand man, he's 10-2. Last fight was a third-round KO loss to his friend, Rafael Faziv. He's won all four of his other UFC appearances by decision. The Los Angeles native in Turner is 12-5. and His last fight was a second-round KO win over Jamie Malarkey, who I thought was going to win that fight. He's also on a four-fight win streak with two wins by KO and two wins by submission. Who do you have? Riddell Turner. Yeah, Brad has great power in his hands. Really good striker. Uh, He's also a good grappler. He has at least one takedown per fight in the UFC, including five versus Drew Dober last year. Uh, Jalen Turner is a tall dude. 6'3". He's really able to control his range which really helps his good boxing skills. And despite being a good boxer, two of his last four fights, he won by submission. Uh, He has really looked great recently, and I like uh, how he's just calm in the cage and how he isn't constantly looking for the knockout, but he uses his length to really time his strikes. Uh, Both of these guys love to strike. They love to grapple. But when you look at the stats, Jalen Turner beats him in both categories. Plus, he's a more diverse striker because he mixes in kicks, knees, and elbows. He lands almost seven significant strikes where Brad only lands five, and he averages 80% takedowns versus Brad's 39%. And if I hadn't watched both of these fighters before in doing research, looking at it on paper, this is a very easy pick um, for Jalen. It's kind of like you know Jalen's Andre the Giant and Brad Rydell's like, Ray Mysterio. I mean, this is going to be pretty, <laughs> pretty easy. Hey, sometimes Mysterio wins, though. Mm, you never know. That does happen. I'm going to go Jalen, though. He's got more volume, more takedowns, and he kind of just beats him in all the categories on paper. Uh, but I think he's a better fighter, too. So I think he gets an easy win here. 
You're going with a minus 125 favorite in Jalen, the Tarantula Turner. I'll stick with Turner here for a little bit before I speak on Riddell. Turner, 26-year-old fighter, still very young. I actually didn't realize that he debuted in the UFC in 2018, and he actually lost his debut fight against Vicente Luque. And really, like you said, it's the his advantages physically. He has an eight-inch, uh, he's eight inches taller than Riddell, and he has a six-inch reach advantage over Riddell as well. And recently in the UFC, he's learned how to use his height and reach advantage to his mm-hmm. advantage in these lightweight fights, and that's really important as well. And just some quick stats on Jalen Turner. They're absolutely insane to me. You already mentioned the 6.51 strikes landed per minute. Also, he averages 1.16 takedowns per 15 minutes, averages 1.73 submissions per 15 minutes, and has a 77% takedown defense with an average fight time of 6.29. So he gets guys out of there quick, and his submissions are not a joke at all. Mm. He's a tarantula for a reason. And I think that Jalen Turner has what it takes to be a star in the UFC. We're going to talk about Israel Adesanya in a little bit, but the frame, the heights, the reach, Jalen Turner, I think he could be a future Adesanya caliber type of fighter. Mm. I could see him being that type of star. Maybe not to the extent that Adesanya is, sure, but Jalen Turner is that guy right now. But I don't know. I'm not going to reveal my pick yet, but for Adele on his side, he is a talented striker. He trains out of city kickboxing. But he can also wrestle as well. He's a really good balanced fighter with an average of 1.87 takedowns per 15 minutes and a 63% takedown defense. I mentioned how Turner, his uh, ceiling might be a Adesanya. I think Brad Riddell's ceiling could be a Alexander Volkanovsky. Mm. They are those kind of short and stout fighters. They're very similar. But they're so good everywhere or can be so good everywhere. Obviously, Alexander Volkanovsky is one of the best pound-for-pound fighters in the world right now, and Brad Riddell is holding on to a 14th-ranked position in the lightweight division. I'm not saying that they're the same right now, but Brad Riddell, if he develops his tools, can get to that point. So this fight, I am agreeing with you, though, because I think Jalen Turner can be that guy in the UFC. I think Jalen Turner is going to take down Riddell and get his submission. I'll say the third round maybe get Riddell's gas tank a little bit low, even though I know Riddell can go long mm. in fights. But Jalen Turner, he just has a way to find people's necks, find any limb to stretch it and get that submission. So I'm going to take Jalen Turner as well in the featured prelim. All right, let's move on to the main event, though. Or not the, the main card, <laughs> excuse me. Not the main event yet. We still have four more fights to go. We're only halfway through. Usually we only have one more fight, which right. would be the main event. Right. But we're only halfway through because this is our mega stacked show for UFC 276 and International Fight Week. Let's start with the first fight on the main card. It's number 10, Pedro, the young Punisher, Munoz, taking on the number 13 ranked bantamweight in the world. It's Sugar Sean O'Malley. I believe you're an O'Malley fan, but we'll get to that in a little bit. Munoz, the Brazilian, 19-7, one no contest. He's lost his last two fights by decision against Jose Aldo and Dominic Cruz, and he's lost four of his last five. For O'Malley, he's 15-1 and with 11 wins by KO. He also finds himself on a three-fight winning streak all by KO since losing his first professional fight against Marlon Cheeto Vero. 
Munoz, O'Malley, Alex, break it down. Yeah, I got a lot to say here, guys. So buckle up, strap up. We're going to have a good breakdown here. Uh, Pedro is a high-intensity striker uh, with clean leg kicks. He has good BJJ, but he tries to keep it on his fight feet. <laughs> he keeps really good pace and seems to be a better striker in a lot of his fights, but does have a negative striking differential. This dude has fought a lot of good fighters, and I did not know that. And definitely more good fighters than bad ones. His last six opponents were Dominic Cruz, Jose Aldo, uh, Jimmy Rivera, a very good Frankie Edgar, current champ Aljamain Sterling, and Cody No Love Garbrandt. Each of those guys were either champions or future Hall of Famers or both. And he hasn't had a break. That's his last six fights. Um, and now he gets Sean O'Malley. And Sean O'Malley is the opposite, where he literally tweets about wanting these easy fights until he gets paid for the bigger fights. And do you have do you have an opinion on that, Jake? Do you have anything to say on I, that mindset? I think it's one of the smartest things a UFC fighter can do. Yeah. I think it, like, kind of the um, Patty Pimblet road that he's kind of on too. I think fighting easier guys when you're starting a UFC career and building up not only your worth, but also that contract that you're going to sign next mm-hmm. couldn't do it better. Yeah, I agree because some guys, they go in too quick and then they get killed and then it kind of hurts them for the rest of their career almost. And, you know, you're fighting. You want to get that money. So I understand taking the easier fight until you get paid the big bucks. It makes a lot of sense, and I like it. But with that being said, this is easily his toughest matchup yet. Um, Sean is incredibly entertaining, accurate, and a powerful striker. And you usually won't hear me combine those three qualities together in one fighter, but he is. And something you will hear me mention later with Israel Adesanya is his feints. Um, He'll just feint someone. If you don't know what a feint is, it's basically doing something, planning to do something else. You fake your your one, knowing you're going to come in with your two. And uh, O'Malley is just constantly switching stands, throwing all kinds of spinning attacks from far or close distance, sets up clean shots, and it's helped him win almost every fight. And those feints are literally lethal for him. Um, his, his IQ is crazy. And if I sound like I'm an O'Malley fan right now, it's because I am. Yep. Um, but it's also because I think a lot of people really downplay his cage fighting ability because he has been taking on these easy fighters, and they say, well, he hasn't fought anybody really good yet. But at the same time, he has had matches, and looking at his technique, and you've never seen a fighter like him where he'll put his hands down, switch his stance all the time, spinning attacks off the gate. You can't deny what he's able to do right now. Um, It's going to be a very technical fight, and I think... Pedro's greatest strength, which I mentioned earlier, was his high-intensity strikes. But I think that plays to his weakness to a guy like Sugar Show who waits on the outside for you to come in so he can land an accurate punch. Um, a lot of people are saying this fight's going to go the distance. Uh, I I, you know, have a little bit of bias here. But I think O'Malley's got a chip on his shoulder. And I think people are really underestimating him. And I think he gets a knockout win here. All right, O'Malley, minus 260 favorite by knockout. 
is the prediction for Alex Henry. I'll start with Munoz here. You kind of mentioned it. He's been around forever. His first UFC fight was in February of 2014, and you mentioned all the killers that he's been facing as of late. Now maybe taking a step back, uh, fighting O'Malley, but O'Malley taking a huge leap forward in fighting Pedro here. But Pedro, he has that Muay Thai fighting style out of Black House MMA. He absorbs more strikes than he lands per minute, which is definitely a concern. He isn't a takedown specialist, but he does have good takedown defense, which shouldn't come into play against O'Malley, though. For O'Malley, you mentioned his striking prowess. O'Malley is a premium striker who lands a lot, but doesn't get hit a lot, which is really important. And he's fighting a guy who is susceptible to being hit a lot Mm -hmm. in Pedro. Plus, he has the five inch, uh, he's five inches taller than Pedro, and he has a 7.5 inch reach advantage over Pedro as well. He's a taller, more lengthy fighter. I think Pedro has a good chin, though, so I'm not going to take O'Malley by finish here, by KO, but I am going to take O'Malley by decision in this bantamweight fight. I think it's going to be a great fight, and I think Pedro might win a round, which might shake up Sugar Show, Sean mm-hmm. O'Malley, but Sean O'Malley, he knows what to do. Like you said, the feints are great. The striking is great. I think he's going to bring the fight to Munoz and fight his style of fight and win this fight in the UFC. So, Jake, I want to ask, we both picked Sean here. What does this do for the bantamweight division if Sean O'Malley wins? Because where does he really go from here after beating a 10-3? Yeah, it's it's so hard to tell because bantamweight is so stacked right now. Mm-hmm. And you think of the, the name Sean O'Malley, right? And you think of a superstar because he is a superstar, but he's been fighting guys who haven't been superstars. And like we mentioned, I think that's a great plan. But what's that yielded him in the UFC so far? Not much because he's a 13th ranked fighter. I know he has higher aspirations. I just don't know how fast he wants to get onto those aspirations, you know? So he's sitting at 13 right now, though, facing number 10. You would think that a win over Pedro would move him in the top 10. And knowing Sean O'Malley... He might fight a guy below the number 10 ranking. I could see that happening. He's, you know, Ricky Simone is at 11, tied with Frankie Edgar, actually, Mm -hmm. at 11 for Bantamweight. I don't think those guys are locked up in fights right now. That can make a a lot of sense. Frankie Edgar might be on the way out. So you think of a veteran against Sean O'Malley, that might work out. Or maybe he does look up the rankings now. I know a lot of these guys are locked up. But if you face a loser of one of those fights, like a Marab Dewalish Willie, I think he's taking on Jose Aldo. You take the on the loser of that fight, maybe that skyrockets you in the rankings. Or, you know, Dominic Cruz is taking on former foe of Sean O'Malley, Marlon Vera. Maybe you take on the loser of that fight. But like I said, knowing Sean O'Malley, I think he might look down in the rankings if he beats Pedro. Yeah, and I I, nec- I don't know if I necessarily think him looking down is the best option for him. I think a lot of people are going to want him to t- fight a top-five guy, and honestly, if it wasn't Sean O'Malley, they would definitely be having him fight a top-five guy next. I like the idea of fighting one of the people in the Dominic Cruz fight. I like him going to Dominic Cruz. I really can't see any anything else in his um 
in what he would want to do. I could see Frankie Edgar. It's a possibility I hadn't thought about. But again, it's just him being stale. And there's a point where you're kind of getting better and better and better, but you don't want to start taking steps backwards. And I feel like if he breaks the top 10, if he wins, which, you know, we both said he will, um, I feel like you got to fight a guy under the top 10. And a lot of people think he'd sort of fight a guy in the top five. But, um, yeah, the Bantamweight right now is just, it's insane. Yeah, and we don't even know what's going to go on with the champ, Aljamain Sterling. If he's going to fight TJ Dillashaw, he's talking about getting a new contract before he accepts mm-hmm. that fight. A lot of people upset that Dillashaw is even getting that fight. We'll see what happens there. I know you're more of a Dillashaw fan, which I don't really like, but hey, well, we'll see what happens. He made some mistakes, but don't we all? Yeah, the, well, he made a lot of mistakes, <laughs> man. He made a lot of mistakes. But no, speaking of Sean O'Malley, I will say this one more thing. If Marlon Vera loses to Dominic Cruz, that kind of stalls Marlon Vera's momentum that he's gotten in this division. I think there wouldn't be a better time to book that rematch between yes. Vera and O'Malley. Because I know O'Malley wants it. He still says that he is undefeated. undefeated. So you rebook that. And I know it's a KO win on Marlon Vera's record, but of course the foot injury had a huge impact on that fight. That was actually the first Sean O'Malley fight I watched, and I was very disappointed because <laughs> I was like, this guy, he's coming out here looking like a unicorn, and <laughs> I'm expecting a great KO win, and then he gets injured. He injured himself pretty much right? and then loses. But I think that fight makes a whole lot of sense. And the new number 15th, number 15 ranked guy in this division, Adrian Yanez. Beast. I love that guy. He's beast. He's amazing. He was one of my favorite fighters in the UFC right now. And I know they've had some Twitter beef. I know they've mm-hmm. called each other out. And if Sean O'Malley is indeed looking down if he wins this fight... Hey, Adrian Yanez is down, and he's coming off an impressive KO win in his hometown of Austin, Texas. Yeah. So, And if Pedro wins, the whole Bantamweight is just, it's ruined. Like it's, <laughs> like if Pedro, it's all ruined. If Pedro wins, I don't know what anybody under the top five even does. Well, that's the thing. With like all these UFC rankings, you have guys on the come up with momentum. You have guys that have lost maybe one fight who are still there. And then you have guys that are just kind of veterans who maybe not really have a place. So, like, I'll say names to give examples, right? So, like, on the come up in the bantamweight division, since we're talking about it, could be guys like TJ Dillashaw, Jose Aldo, Marlon Vera, maybe throw in Marab there as well, and Dominic Cruz because he's had a lot of success recently. Guys that have had a loss recently but are still there would be guys like Corey Sandhagen, Mm -hmm. Yoder Jan, Rob Font even, and then guys who are those veterans that don't really have a place, and if they win a fight, then, yeah, might mess things up a little bit, would be a guy like Pedro Munoz sitting there at number 10. Yeah, and Pedro's not necessarily bad. I mean, we talked about the guys he's yeah. had to fight. They're very hard dudes. that he They just weren't good matches for him. So, yeah, definitely shakes things up. And we didn't even mention it. Pedro almost knocked out Dominic Cruz in the yes. first round of their fight. It was Dominic Cruz who had the gas tank and the veteran instinct to say, hey, I'm going to win these last two rounds against Pedro no matter what it takes, and that's what he did. And I think Dominic Cruz's story right now is one of the more entertaining ones to follow, and I can't wait for his fight against Marlon Vera too. Mm -hmm. I know that's going down in San Diego here soon, but Pedro, we'll see what happens with him if he wins. 
<laughs> Personally, I wouldn't love it just because no, I me think either. Sean O'Malley is on the come up. And just from a fan perspective, and even as a business perspective, if you're looking at the UFC, Sean O'Malley's money. Yes. And he should be continuing to be presented as money mm-hmm. to the fans, to the business, and a win over a number 10 ranked guy, his first ranked opponent. I think it, I don't know if Rollin Paiva was ranked when he I fought. I think it was 16th, which isn't okay. technically okay. ranked. So his first ranked opponent here at Bantamweight. I'd love for Sean O'Malley to win this, and we both have him winning it. I have it by the decision. You have it by knockout. So we'll see what happens with the first fights on the main card. Let's move on to middleweight, a middleweight fight that is potentially a precursor to the main events at middleweight. Let's talk about this one first. It's the number four middleweight in the world. It's Sean Tarzan Strickland taking on Alex Bejeda. Alex Bejeda is a minus 115 favorite. Strickland actually a minus 105 favorite, so a little bit of a pick fight here. Strickland is 25-3. and three. He's an eight-year veteran who's undefeated at middleweight in the UFC, and he's found his, riz- his rhythm as of late and finds himself on a six-fight winning streak here for Bejeda. He's 5-1, kickboxer turned mixed martial artist who has won both of his fights in the UFC. What do you have for me on this middleweight fight? Yeah, something I wanted to mention earlier but I forgot is I don't like when the name Sean is spelled S-E-A-N because I read it as C-N. <laughs> <laughs> what, I'm assuming your like, preferred spelling uh, is S-H-A-U-N. S-H-A-U-N. Yeah, like is it Sean I, C-N? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I agree. Again, why are we offending people on this show, Alex? Yeah, there's a lot of, I don't know. It's Robbie just... Lawler fan, if there's a Robbie Lawler fan out there, Whose name is Sean, spelled S E A N. Oh, he's turned it off by now. I apologize. <laughs> I apologize as well. But no, I don't know. Let's get into the fight. Uh, Sean Strickland, uh, he moves forward, throws a lot of punches, which have a lot more power behind them than you think. If you watch, he might hit somebody with a jab where all of his power really just came from his arm, and it'll do crazy damage. He has an average of 85% takedown defense. He also has a 60... Wait, did I say that right? 85%. I messed up my notes, I think. But he has 85% takedown defense, I'm pretty sure. Um, A lot of people overlooked that. Um, In his first fight versus Uriah Hall, he had four takedowns and averaged his one a fight. And that could really, really, really help him in this bout. Alex Bejeda is a really advanced kickboxer, like you mentioned, known for his infamous knockout versus Israel Adesanya. Um, his power behind his leg kicks and body kicks is crazy. His timing is spot on. People always want to bring up uh, takedown defense and grappling when it comes to these expert kickboxers like Alex Bejeda and Israel Adesanya. Uh, Alex was taken down twice by Bruno Silva, and he was taken down twice by Andreas Michalaitis, hard name to pronounce there. Uh, but at the end of the day, he got up, and he got the wins in those fights. Uh, Alex Bejeda doesn't lose power. He has great continuity with his strikes throughout the fight. His head movement is good. He does leave himself open at times, which is literally my only critique of his. Um, if you look at the, this fight, it's striker. If you look at it as striker versus striker, it's the easiest pick you've ever made in your life. You're going with Alex Bejeda, and it's not even close. The thing that's difficult is Sean Strickland can grapple. He has 16 takedowns in the UFC. Bejeda has been taken on four times in two fights. However, he has defended 11 takedowns. 
And in his fights where he does get taken down, he's able to get up quickly and keep fighting as if it didn't happen. I'm picking Pajeda. He's too powerful. His kickboxing's insane. And I'm going Alex Pajeda. Interesting. We might have our first disagreement here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'll talk on Strickland first. We, You kind of mentioned a lot of it, but he is a well-balanced striking and a grappling attack. You mentioned his fight with Uriah Hall in which he landed four takedowns with over seven minutes of ground control time. But for Strickland, he's literally the UFC's worst nightmare because of how he handles himself online and behind the mic. And I don't even think it's a gimmick. No. I just think that's <laughs> how Sean Strickland is. Yes. Which is a little bit scary that a human <laughs> being could act that way. But it is what it is. And I think the UFC is trying their best to avoid giving him a title shot which is why they're putting him up against Pajeda, uh, who isn't even ranked because Strickland will accept any fight given to him. Now on the Pajeda side, he's a former glory middleweight and light heavyweight champion who trains with former champ Glover Teixeira. You mentioned all the credentials. You mentioned exactly his fight game and what he's good and the one thing that he's bad at. Honestly, I think Strickland might... I don't think he's going to outstrike Pajeda and... I think uh, Strickland's best chance of winning this fight is on the ground. But I think Strickland can get some shots through mm-hmm. against Pajeda. Potentially even knock him out, but I'll get to that in a little bit. For Pajeda, though, I don't doubt his ability. But I think they're pushing Pajeda too much and too fast because he has those two wins. One of which by KO over Adesanya in kickboxing. That's the whole storyline behind Pajeda. Is that he has those two head-to-head wins over Adesanya. That's it. That's what's pushing him so far in the UFC. And it's very rare that we see an unranked fighter fight the number four ranked fighter in the world in that division. It's very rare. And we're seeing it here because of those wins over Adesanya. But Beheda, he isn't even ranked yet. He's only had two fights in the UFC. And Strickland is no joke wherever this fight goes. Like I said, he can even uh, present challenges to him on the feet. And I know that Israel Adesanya was actually asked questions about Beheda. And he asked questions about, is this a leap? Which I think it is. But is this too much of a leap for Beheda? And, you know, Adesanya more or less said, Yuri Prohashka only had two fights in the UFC, and now he's a mm-hmm. champion. Look at the Yuri way. Beheda, you know, he has those two wins against me, but they're kind of doing the same thing here. And I understand that a guy like Yuri Prohashka got a title shot after just two wins in the UFC. But Yuri is a much more dangerous fighter than Beheda. I haven't seen much out of Beheda in his first two, first two UFC fights that I'm like, wow, this guy can be a champion right now. Nothing about Beheda's game screams that to me. Whereas Yuri, I picked Yuri to beat Glover Teixeira, which we can talk about that fight all day. That fight was amazing. That was so awesome. Like fight of the year so far, yes, probably. Yes, 100%. Man, yeah, I was freaking out with that submission. But back on the point here, Pajeda, I don't think he's that guy right now. He could become that guy, but right now, I just think they're pushing him too much. And Sean Strickland, like I said, he's no joke. I'm picking Sean Strickland here. And like I said, I think Sean Strickland's best chance is by wrestling Pajeda. So I'm going to take Strickland by decision. So I just think, you know, more takedown attempts, more ground control time. That's going to lead to a decision here. And I think Strickland at least wins two rounds to Pajeda's potential two rounds. 
Right, and I mean, you make a good point. You know, we talked about Sean O'Malley, Patty Pimplett. These guys took, they're taking their time. They're going to continue to take their time. And you look at a guy like Yuri, you look at a guy like Alex Bejeda, and you're like, man, is the UFC throwing him in there too early? My only thing I would say is Sean Strickland, I don't know if he's on the caliber um, as Glover was to Yuri. Um, and I think that it's more of a even match. Uh, and I, I do agree with what you were saying about his striking. I don't want uh, people to think I'm underestimating Sean Strickland's ability. Like I said, he has a lot more power than you think. I, he, I don't think he has knockout power necessarily, but more power in his hands than it looks like. I just, I don't know, man. He, he beat Israel Adesanya, which is insane to me. And I, I do see a lot in these guys that are just, they've done kickboxing their whole life. And they're just advanced kickboxers. And I don't know. I, I will take Pajeda here. And this is, you know, whoever wins this fight either way, they're going for the belt, no? I think so. But I want to say one more thing about Pajeda before we get to, like, middleweight standings and right. exactly how this fight would impact that. So I mentioned how, like, Pajeda's getting pushed too soon. And I just want to put that into more context in case it doesn't make sense or just make it make more sense. I think Pajeda, this fight is a fight too soon. Like, this fight needs to happen for his next fight. Pajeda's next fight, there are so many guys at middleweight that I could put Pajeda against mm. to get him at least ranked. Put a number against Pajeda's name before he goes up to number four to face the maniac that is Sean Strickland, both in and outside the cage. I could see Pajeda taking on a guy like Derek Brunson, who just came off of a loss to Jared Cannonier. I could see him taking on a guy like Kelvin Gastelum, who's a proven veteran, who's sitting at number 10 right now. You give Pajeda a 10 or even like a 8 through 15 ranking going into this fight, or at least give me a look at Pajeda in the UFC against a ranked contender. That's what I want. Because his first fight in the UFC was really impressive. Second one, not as much. Bejeda, you put him against one of these veterans or just a guy within 10-15. Put a number next to his name before he goes up to number four to face Sean Strickland. I think that would have made a whole lot more sense. But Adesanya is running out of guys at middleweight. And if they're trying to make Adesanya and Pejeda, which would be really easy because you could easily advertise Pejeda's two wins over Adesanya in kickboxing which I think is their end goal here. You kind of have to, but I just don't like the matchmaking here. And I think if you have a star or if you want to make that matchup happen in the future, I think a slow build is always better than a fast build and saying, hey, if you're unranked, let's put you up against number four. Yeah, I don't hate your point. I don't necessarily hate the matchmaking either. Um, I, I, I see it both ways. Um, you do make a good point. He could have fought somebody ranked. I just think it kind of is more the Yuri style. And not just Yuri style. There's a, plenty of guys that the UFC has used where they kind of push them really quick uh, just in the history of UFC. I think Brock Lesnar won the belt like after his second or third fight in the UFC. And he literally wasn't even a cage fighter. He had only been a college wrestler. So, I mean, these things happen all the time. And whether you agree with it or not, I just think it all goes to show Alex Bahada's abilities, really. and Potentially. And the thing is, if he can't beat Sean Strickland, 
then it goes He's to done. show he doesn't deserve he doesn't deserve another contender fight for a while. He, he'll have to fight for that contender fight, let alone a belt. Um, and if Sean Strickland wins, it shows, okay, let's get this fight with Israel. And I would love to see both of these fights. I'd love for... Um, I just lost his name. I'd love for Alex to win, and then Israel beat him, and then Sean Strickland beat... Or, and Sean Strickland fight Israel, and we see what happens there. But it's very interesting, and... To your point, like the fast build, it has happened in the UFC. But if it fails, it's an epic fail. Yeah, and it kills the it kills them. It kills them. Pineda, yep. if he loses this fight, he's not he's still not going to be ranked, and who knows where he goes? Yeah. Whereas Sean Ma- Sean O'Malley, if he loses his fight, it's not going. It'll affect him as in a sense he might not be the big face. But give it two weeks, and people are still going to look at Sean O'Malley the same way. And they'll still be able to book him really easily. Yeah, you and can't a, say that for Alex Pajeda. And then a fight versus Adrian Yanez makes perfect sense mm-hmm. in that division too. But no, I just think it's they're too mainstream with this decision for Pajeda. And sure, if it works out, because I think Dana White will be so annoyed if Strickland wins. Oh <laughs> yeah, he'll be so annoyed because Strickland would deserve that middleweight title chance. Mm-hmm. Personally, I think Strickland already deserves it. Sure. But, like I said, he's going to accept any fight put in front of him. So he's going to fight Pajeda this Saturday. I think Strickland's going to win by decision. And, honestly, Adesanya versus Strickland, kind of entertaining. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I would eat that matchup up. Potentially more than Cannoneer Adesanya, which we'll get into in a little bit. Yeah. But Adesanya's running out of contenders. He's already fought Whitaker, already fought Vittori, already fought Brunson, already fought Costa. He's got to get some new blood here. Right. And sure, if Pajeda wins, great. You make that fight next. If Strickland wins, you make that fight next. Maybe if Strickland loses, he can build himself up in time to face Adesanya. But regardless, a contender's dream is going to get killed right here Mm -hmm. on Saturday night in this middleweight fight. But before we stick with the middleweight division, we've got to talk about the featherweights for a little bit because it is the trilogy fights. It is the co-main event of International Fight Week of UFC 276. The champion Alexander the Great Volkanovsky, the minus 180 favorites, taking on the number one ranked featherweight in the world, Max Blessed Holloway. This is my fight of the night right here. I cannot wait to see this trilogy play out. Volkanovsky's 24-1. His last fight was a dominating KO win over the Korean Zombie in what was likely the best performance of his career a quick turnaround for the champion however as he puts his belt and 22 fight winning streak on the line when he heads into the trilogy of a lifetime against Holloway for Holloway he's 23 and 6 his last fight was a phenomenal decision win over Yair Rodriguez he also has 10 wins by KO and three title defenses on his record it's the number two pound for pound fighter in the world Taking on the number six pound-for-pound fighter in the world, Alex. Trilogies are always fun. Who do you have winning this one? Yeah, you said this is your fight of the night. I'm I'm actually, we're we're probably polar opposites. I think the Sean Strickland-Alex Pajeda is going to be fight of the night. And this is like the 98th time these two have met in the octagon. 98th? At least how it feels. Okay. And and still yet, still yet, I'm sure, 100% sure this fight's going to be crazy. And it's going to be super fun to watch. The thing is, I just kind of wish it wasn't Max Holloway, and I wish it was a guy maybe like Henry Sadehu, 
Cejudo. Um, Cejudo. Yep, you got and it. I don't know. Well, let me get into my breakdown. So <laughs> Alexander's been champ for over two years, and despite fighting the same people over and over again, he's proving to be one of my favorite fighters every time he steps into the octagon. Uh, Alexander has crazy speed in his hands and his feet, which set up for crazy combos, followed by really crisp-looking takedowns. He's a strong guy, but I wouldn't say he has knockout power. And despite being the shorter guy in literally every fight he has, it doesn't affect him pretty much, like, at all. Max Holloway is another amazing striker with good pressure and high-volume striking. Max has a 7-4 to four with the highest striking differential on the entire card. He also has an impressive 84% takedown defense. And I don't want people to think I'm sleeping on Max Holloway because that's the opposite. He landed 447 strikes versus Calvin Cater in his last fight versus Yara Rodriguez, where Max had three takedowns, which is more than his last 10 fights combined. Um, these guys have met before. They were tough calls, but I think Alexander did win them and deserved them both times. He had more takedowns. He had more strikes landed. And, you know, everybody wants to tell me, Max is better this time. Max is better this time. And my rebuttal would be prove it because Alexander has only gotten better too. And if you watched his last fight for Zombie, it was one of the most dominating UFC performances I've seen a champion put on in the last two years. Alexander comes in with high-volume strikes, gets some takedowns, and wins by decision. Um, but, you know, Alex, you know, Max is a wrestler now, and he's got wrestling. Yes, you know, he, he was good in his last fight, had more takedowns than any other of his 25 fights in the UFC. But his striking looked bad, and he was kind of slow, and he was getting beat up a lot of times. And overall, I didn't think it was a good performance. And I don't say all that to hate. I just don't want to be a disservice to the people listening if I didn't say, you know, I think Max is starting to get old. Um, and I kind of need Volk to win and I need it to be in a dominant fashion. So we don't have to see this fight the 99th time, but I'm going with Volk. Uh, I think it's going to be super entertaining. Nonetheless, great big down there from you, Alex. I'll start with Holloway before I get to Volkanovsky Holloway. He lands 7.38 strikes per minute, absorbs more strikes than Volkanovsky has 84% takedown defense and also has a long average fight time of 15 minutes and 26 seconds. You mentioned that he's gotten better at wrestling as well with his three takedowns and over six minutes of control time in his last win over Yair Rodriguez. But look, Holloway is still the best boxer in the UFC, in my opinion. And that goes for many fight fans' opinions as well. And this fight is just going to be a master class of mixed martial arts. Two of the very best going at it for the third time, not the 99th time, Alex. You might have missed number <laughs> three through 99, but no, this is the third time they're meeting in the octagon. Two of the very best going at it, and their prior two matchups were close. I expect fireworks on a Saturday night. Now let me get to Volkanovski. He lands 6.63 strikes per minute, also averages nearly two takedowns per 15 minutes, and had three takedowns in his second fight against Holloway. So that's important to note as well. The only knock on his record is his average fight time of 16 minutes and 6 seconds. With all the decision wins that he's had in his career. But 
Holloway, like I said, he also has a longer fight time as well. So regardless of where this fight goes, I think it goes to decision. Mm -hmm. Um, I agree. But Volkanovski, this man is incredible. He's only getting better. And not only am I picking Volkanovski to win on Saturday night by decision, potentially even convincingly, I predict that he'll be the next double champ in the UFC. And I don't see another way that this happens because Volkanovski is that good right now. He's already number two pound for pound in the world. And honestly, he's coming for Kamaru Usman for the number one spot. Kamaru Usman's been out with that hand injury. And I already mentioned the quick turnaround for Volkanovski here. If he keeps that going and that matchup with him and potentially Charles Oliveira, love it. Yeah. Could not get more. Well, I mean, obviously they have to have a lightweight champion because it's vacant right now. Right. Even though that man is Charles Oliveira. But, you know, Oliveira. He's got to be that lightweight champion first. But you put Oliveira against Volkanovski. I'm picking Volkanovski's right now to win that fight, become the next double champ in the UFC. Yeah, I and I would love to see it. I um the last podcast we had where it was Zombie versus uh Alexander Volkanovski, I wasn't necessarily like really crazy as in his talent. More so I just liked him liked watching him fight. But he is literally what you said, Jake, one of the best pound for pound fighters in the UFC. And I, you know, I, I liked my wording because I said it was one of the most dominating performances I've seen a champion put on. And, you know, a lot of the champs, they kind of hold back sometimes. It seems they're just trying to win to keep the belt and not win to really beat the fighter. Alexander Volkanovsky just does not care. He literally goes in there with good fighter IQ and still wins those fights. And I would love to see him be the next double champ. And I'm not going to necessarily predict it um, because I do know how good Usman is. But I would love to see it happen because I really don't like Usman that much. So Plus, I think Usman is a little bit held back because he's a welterweight. Obviously, the middleweight champ is Adesanya. So if Usman wanted to head up, he would have to face his best friend in Israel, Adesanya, mm-hmm. which has been said time and time again. That that's not going to happen, right? Which is definitely unfortunate for the whole welterweight division right now because Usman's so dominant, he can't really do much else. So is Adesanya. It makes perfect sense, but they are friends. And, yeah, go ahead. Don't get it wrong. I'd love to see Alexander Volkanovski come up and beat Charles Oliveira too. I don't but, understand the Oliveira <laughs> from you, man. I don't I, get it. I, at I'd love. I'd love to see that too, but I just think it would be better for the UFC if they. Um, combined Usman and Volk just because they're both kind of at a standstill with what they should do in their weight classes. Uh, whereas, you know, lightweight's kind of kind of open for really anybody right yeah. now. Well, I mean, it's easy when there's no champion. Right. Technically, <laughs> yeah. But how do you feel about that, by the way? I know it's a little bit of old news within the UFC, but should Charles Oliveira be the crown champion right now or that half-pound weight miss really... Yeah, I mean, this. I mean, we've talked about it over text before. I just, I, I do think it matters. I think, you know, you're getting paid millions of dollars um, and you, you're the champion and you have to make weight. Now, whether I think it's right that they use digital scales and then they go and use manual scales is a different conversation. But either way, I was a wrestler my whole life, 10 years, never missed weight once in my life. And it's very hard. Sometimes you're dehydrated. Sometimes you're hungry. Sometimes you got to work a little harder. 
But when you're the champ, I was a high school wrestler who was never going to states. Charles Oliveira was the champion making millions of dollars. At the end of the day, you got to make weight. Yeah, and I saw a lot of criticism for him not like shaving his head, even just to mm-hmm. get that half pound sure. down. Personally, I completely understand both sides. I more or less lean on the opposite side of yours, saying it was a half pound weight miss. There was all that controversy in Arizona with the scales, with them being digital, with them not being set right, and then all the fighters waking up being overweight and then having to cut weight on the last day, I'm sure is a more grueling process than I will ever understand in my life. And Oliveira, he's just so good, and for him to not be crowned the championship after that dominating performance over Justin Gaethje, I think is a real shame. And it was just a half pound. I know to other people that means more if, than if, in, if in my he mind. Was, if he wasn't but. the champ, it wouldn't matter to me. Because it's unless if it's like a championship or like number one contender fight, It well, number one, it doesn't really matter to the UFC that much. They'll let somebody go over by a pound. And I, I agree with that. I just think if you're the champ, you got to be on weight. But I, I do have some sympathy uh for Oliveira, you won't hear me say that often, but I do, and I I think he should be champ. But at the same time, I understand why he's not, and I'm not. I don't feel bad enough for him to be like, give him the belt, give him the belt. It's just you got to settle with your actions, yeah. whether it was your fault or not. Yeah. Plus, the commission in Arizona, they were really tedious with that scale. They were. They were moving slowly with it, really making sure that hey, this is the exact weight that they're at which I'm a fan of, but in Las Vegas, there's been times where the commission there moves the scale in two seconds. Oh, yep, you made weight. All right, you're good. Mm -hmm. I mean, we've seen it before with Daniel Cormier, with Habib Nurmagomedov. Mm -hmm. Just, oh, yeah, yep, you made weight. All right, that's why this hasn't happened before. Right. And now half-pound weight miss. Unfortunately, it was in Arizona. Charles Oliveira is not the champion, even though in many people's eyes, including my own, he is the champion, and I would love to see a Volkanovski and yes. Oliveira fight in the future. I, I don't even know. I don't even know if Dana wanted to take the belt from him necessarily, but I just think his kind of rules are rules, and I'm yeah. the boss. Yeah, he can do whatever he wants, I guess. Yeah, but it's main event time. It's main event. I think time. it's main event time. The man that is on your shirt, Alex. I'm assuming that's the man you're picking, but I don't know. <laughs> I have to wait for your breakdown. It is the champion, the king of the middleweights, Israel, the last style better, Adesanya taking on the number two middleweight in the world. Some new blood for the champ, Jared the Killer Gorilla. Cannoneer for Adesanya is 22-1 with 15 wins by KO, even though eight of his past 11 fights have gone to the distance. His last fight was a unanimous decision victory over Robert Whitaker. And this fight against Cannoneer, like I said, brings new blood to the throne of the middleweight king, which brings the fans an exciting matchup for Cannoneer the Killer Gorilla. In his last fight, second round KO win over blonde Derek Brunson in a fight that I predicted he would lose. He's been the betting underdog in his last five fights, and he's won four of them with a 15-5 and five professional record. Alex, it's main event time. Adesanya, Cannoneer, who do you got and why? Just going to say it right now so everybody knows. Israel Adesanya is the GOAT of the middleweight. Oh, uh, but, but what about Anderson Silva? Nope. I don't buy into it. Not what I'm here to even talk about. Just going to get that off my chest. 
But uh, Israel Adesanya <laughs> is one of the best kickboxers to ever touch the cage. Uh, his chin's great, but what makes him so great is his feints. He can time his shots and counter strikes so well, and then adding his feints into that, it's almost like he's a puppet master with his opponents, and he's controlling them into doing what he wants just so he can land a strike. Um, he starts out simple, and as the fight goes on, his strikes get more advanced, but he always keeps good hooks and straights even when in chaos and most times won't even get touched. He also has a 77% takedown defense and defends shots really well, but has also been taken down a handful of times. That's mainly because that's all people want to do versus Izzy. They just want to bring it to the ground, and I think his takedown defense would be higher if there weren't so many people shooting shots on him all the time. Now, with that being said, Jared Cannonier is scary, and I've known he's scary. Adesanya described him as the dark horse of the middleweight, and I think that's very fitting. Um, This is a guy who dropped a weight class and kept his power despite losing weight. Um, And, you know, I did predict the last fight, and I predicted exactly how he would win. Just throw that in there. Um, (laughs) But the dude's crazy. He's jacked. He likes to switch stances a lot. Uh, he throws really powerful leg and body kicks um, no matter what stance he is in, which is pretty unique to him. Uh, his grappling's okay, but he mainly uses it defensively to try to get back to his feet or maybe land some ground and pound. Uh, this fight's super interesting because it's a clash of styles, in my opinion. Uh, this is the hardest hitter Izzy has faced. Israel has been knocked out before by Alex Pajeda. So if anyone's going to have the power to do it, it's going to be Jared, who was literally once a heavyweight. Uh, I don't think that Jared's going to be looking for takedowns because he's not crazy good at it. And Israel has such a high takedown defense. So it doesn't really make much sense for him. Uh, but I think Cannoneer's high power strikes are going to be obvious to Israel. And I think Israel's just too fast. And... I think Israel will probably beat Jared to the punch 10 out of 10 times. Um, It's going to be interesting to see what happens if Jared does land a big power punch, but the pick has got to be the last style bender for me. I, I talked about this earlier. I think he has a chip on his shoulder. He's actually said this uh, openly. He has a chip on his shoulder. People think he's underperforming, not fighting the fight, but fighting to keep the belt. And I think he's looking for heads, and I think he's going to get a knockout here. I just think I love Jared Kamnir. I've loved him, picked him when he was the underdog. He has the power. I just think it's going to be Israel's so high level and so fast that those punches are going to be very, very, very obvious to him when they're coming, and I just think he's going to land way more strikes. And the last style bender will get it done. All right, interesting analysis from you there. I'll start with Kamnir. He's 5-1 at middleweight with 4 KO wins. 67% of his wins are by knockout. And if you look at Adesanya, Jan Blahovich might have set the president or blueprints on how to beat Adesanya, but the killer gorilla does not fit that wrestling mold. Not even a little bit, and that's why I'm so excited for this matchup here is because it's finally a striker versus a striker matchup yes. for Adesanya. The first time we've seen it since... Paulo Costa. And what he's good at. What people, what he built his name on. Exactly. And we haven't seen this type of matchup, at least style-wise, for Adesanya 
since that dominating win over Paulo Costa. But Cannoneer is ruthless, though. He wants to knock the head off of all of his opponents. He's named the Killer Gorilla for a reason. Another amazing <laughs> nickname, Yes, if I might add. For sure. I do worry about the reach advantage for Adesanya and the unique, the unique striking style of Adesanya. But if Cannoneer can connect with some combinations, I think the champ could go to sleep in a hurry. But I'm not going to pick Cannoneer. I'm going to pick Adesanya. I'm right there with you. He's five inches taller, has that two and a half inch reach advantage. He's the number three pound for pound fighter in the world. He's one of the best, most methodical freestyle strikers in the game of MMA. Personally, I just expect Adesanya to outclass Cannoneer on the feet. Yes. Avoid the powerful shots early while landing enough strikes to steal rounds and wear out the killer gorilla to a five round decision win. I think Adesanya has been fighting a little bit to keep the belt and I see it happening here as well. I see him picking up a decision win over Cannoneer, who is a very dangerous striker. And I like this matchup a little bit more than the Paulo Costa one, but we saw what Adesanya did to Costa. So it could happen again. Maybe we see a KO. But I do like Adesanya beating Jared Cannoneer by decision. Yeah, I don't necessarily, obviously, I am an Israel Adesanya fan. I have a shirt. Big fan. I don't think he has been fighting to keep the belt. I just think the stylistic matches that he has had versus guys like Robert Whitaker, it just hasn't been his fights, and there wasn't much for him to really prove himself in those fights. And if anything, I think that him winning those fights where they're going for takedowns all the time and he still wins the fight, whether his striking was impressive or not, is enough in my eyes to say that he was fighting to fight. But I understand 100% what not even a critic, what this UFC fans mean by saying, hey, we want to see that old Israel Adesanya striking, high-class striking, and I get that. And, Jake, you're 100% right. That's what's going to happen on Saturday. It's just going to be striker versus striker, technique striker versus power striker, which is super interesting. And, yeah, it, I'm not – that you know, there's a science. Once you've been knocked out once, every time you get knocked out, your chin does get worse. And he, Israel Adesanya, has been knocked out before. Jared Kanier's got that power. So it will be super interesting to see, you know, what I I praised Israel's chin, and I think he does have a strong chin, but Jared Kanier's got that knockout power. So anything yeah. could happen, but I just don't think Israel lets that situation even come close to happening. Kanier definitely just destroyed Derek Brunson. Yeah. In a fight that I thought Brunson was going to win. But, yeah, I'm going to be on the edge of my seat every single time Jared Cannonier throws a power punch. Yes. And I agree with you that Adesanya is talented enough to avoid all of them. But if even one slips through, mm-hmm. who knows what will happen? What will happen? Who knows? We'll see what happens in the middleweight division here. Uh, do you have anything for me on Adesanya going forward if he does beat Cannonier, which we both have happening? What's next for the champ? Yeah, it's either Sean Strickland or Alex Pajeda, and I want both of those fights to happen, so it's really just going to depend on who wins that fight at the end of the day. Um, But as for the rest of the middleweight, there's really nobody in the top five that I'd want to see fight Israel right off rip, So besides Sean Strickland. So I'd want to see... I don't want to see Robert. 
I don't want to see Marvin Vittori. I'd like to see guys like um, Darren Till, uh, Andre kind of build their ways up and um, come for middleweight. We have uh, Jack Hermanson taking on Darren Till here shortly in London. I honestly want to see Brunson take on Adesanya just a little bit just because of how Brunson has just completely changed his game along with his hair. Um, I think we'll Bla- see, we'll I see think what Blonde Brunson's kind of towards the end of his career, actually. I agree, and I think I picked Brunson to win against Cannoneer because I thought that Brunson was going to be able to wrestle Cannoneer, but also that Brunson's time is now, and if he wants that rematch against Adesanya, the time is now. But he is 38. We'll I did not know that. I actually thought he was much younger than 38. So Brunson? Yes. Yeah. So definitely nearing the end of his career, but we'll see what happens with the middleweights. Not a lot of guys out there for Adesanya. I'm pretty much right there with you. I'd love to see that Strickland fight. Other than that, everybody else kind of needs some work, whether that be Hermanson or Till. Maybe Pajeda beats Strickland, and maybe you get that, oh, shoot, like there's an unranked guy who's now fighting for the title. So we'll see what happens at middleweights. And Alex, I believe we only have one disagreement. Yeah, the whole the whole thing. Eight fights. Mega <laughs> stacked show. One disagreement. Man, who looked at whose notes, man? Who looked at whose notes? He probably looked at mine. He probably, oh, looked, really? Jake was probably reading the Alex Henry Sports Betting book a little too early. No, 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 no. <laughs> Do I change anything? Let's run through the picks. I'll run, yeah, I'll run through my picks first. Let's run through them. I'll have you do it first. I'm on the edge on some of these picks, but I I also don't want to change it and then for me to be right in the first place and then for me to even fall down the stairs. You don't want to be wrong, more. wrong. You know? You don't want to... Yeah. So, no. <laughs> I'll go through my picks. Jim Miller, Donald Cerrone. I love what you said. He doesn't have the cowboy in him. I'm going with Jim Miller. Uh, Ian Gary, Gabe Green. I'm going Ian Gary. Bright pop prospect, needs some work, but I think he'll get an easy win here. Then we got Robbie Lawler versus Brian Barbarena. I'm going Barbarena. I think, who's the who's the under on that fight? I think Robbie Lawler's actually the under. He's the favorite, minus 125. Yeah. I'm if so I were go- to, like, I almost want to put money on that. Like, yeah. That's how confident I feel that Barbarena's going to win. Yeah, Barbarena's going to win. I'm sticking with that pick for sure. Uh, Brad Rydell versus Jaline. Turner, I got Jalen winning. Uh, that's going to be a very good fight. Pedro versus O'Malley, I got O'Malley winning it. One of my favorite fighters in the UFC. Uh, then we have Sean Strickland, Alex Pajeda. I'm going with Pajeda here. Uh, it's going to be such a good fight. I'm so excited to watch this fight. Uh, Alexander Volkanovsky versus Max Holloway. I want everybody that's listening right now, go back, watch the Yair Rodriguez fight. See how much damage Max Holloway took in that fight. Then make your pick if you're betting. I'm going Alexander Volkanovsky right there uh, in decision. And then Israel Adesanya, the last style bender. The go to the middleweight is going to get it done versus the Dark Horse or the Killer Gorilla, Jared Cannonier. All right. that are Those are the Alex Henry Sportsbook picks for the Jake Murren Sportsbook. I have very similar picks, only one difference, but I'll break it down for you. I have Jim A10 Miller taking the cowboy out of Donald Cerrone if it's not already gone. I just think he's the more distinguished veteran right now at this point in his career. He's been through wars. Cerrone, 
not in a war position right now, at least in the UFC. I have Miller easily winning over Cerrone, potentially a first-round knockout there. I also agree with the Ian Gary pick over Gabe Green. I think Ian Gary, like his nickname suggests, is the future of the UFC, at least for Irish people. Uh, right now, Gary, he's that man right now. He's talked about being the next Conor McGregor. I like him over Green. Just slightly, though, I do give a lot of respect to Green here, but he is a bit more of a wild fighter, whereas Gary is a little bit more of a calm, composed, and a technical fighter. And I like that matchup there for Gary. Next, I've mentioned it. I like Barbarena over Lawler easily. Lawler, completely washed, shouldn't fight anymore, can't compete right now. Barbarena is that guy, and hopefully that third-round KO win over Nick Diaz for Lawler gets out of my brain yesterday. Just get that out of my right. brain. Completely <laughs> joking of a win there. Next, I have Jalen the Tarantula Turner beating Brad a Quake Riddell just lightly here as well. I think both of these guys' ceilings are so high, but I think right now Jalen Turner is on a run that can't be stopped, and he should be a future star in the UFC, and I do like him by submission here with his height and reach advantage over Riddell. Then I agree as well. O'Malley over Munoz. Very, I was conflicted about this fight to it's start. A hard, it's a hard fight. I was very conflicted, but again, a height and reach advantage for O'Malley over Munoz. Plus, I don't think Munoz really brings anything special to the table, whereas we've seen O'Malley with his striking and power get people out of there quick. This time, I have O'Malley by decision. Then our one and only disagreement of this entire card, <laughs> I have Sean Tarzan Strickland beating Alex Pajeda and shutting down the very short-ended push that the UFC is trying to accomplish here with Alex Pajeda. Sean Strickland is that guy everywhere this fight goes. Even though he's a nightmare, both mentally, whatever, this UFC nightmare that is Sean Strickland is crazy, but I do think he wins this fight and goes on to face Adesanya in a future championship fight. The trilogy, that is not the 99th time, but the third time, Volkanovski, Holloway, I completely agree with your pick. I do give a little bit more respect to Max because I think his boxing and striking is still there. I think he is going to damage Volkanovski. But Volkanovski right now, he's one of like, if there's an untouchable right now in the UFC, if I were to pick one of them, it would be Volkanovski. This man is untouchable right now. Not Charles? No. I do have a lot of respect for Charles. He might be my number two, which is interesting because I see them fighting each other very soon. Yes. But no, Alexander the Great Volkanovsky is untouchable He's right the man. Now. Yes, he very very much is. We mentioned the Korean zombie win in dominating fashion by a champion. I loved how you worded that. But the Great is here to stay being great. And I see him not only winning this trilogy, but moving on to bigger and greater things by moving up to be the next UFC double champ. Then main event, I also agree with you here. Israel the last style, Bender Adesanya picking up the win over Cannoneer. I like it by decision. I know you have it by KO, though. And I don't I don't think I'm going to change my picks. I think That's I'm going to keep them. I mentioned before the show uh, that I might change some picks if we're likely in agreement because there's eight fights here. I'm down by, I believe, two picks in the standings, and I really wanted to make that up with this stacked show here with eight picks being picked, but I don't want to change them and then be wrong. So... I'm going to keep what I have, and, excuse me, hopefully Strickland beats Bejeda, and uh, I'll get that one back. You get one. Yeah. I mean, that's the only one I could get back, right? Right. Only one you could go forward with. 
hey, hopefully I go eight no and you go seven and one, right? Nope. No? I'm trying to go no? eight no. No? No. Eight no, <laughs> seven to one. Okay. Alex Henry. Alex Henry, your sports book, goes down a notch a little bit more. No. After this, after this card, I'm bumping up the price, so. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Interesting. I'm still waiting for that Instagram account. It's coming. Soon. It's coming. Soon. All right. Well, that will do it for us, the UFC crew from WZIP Sports. I hope you enjoyed our mega show today as the UFC prepares for International Fight Week with the most stat card of the year. I'm super excited to see which contenders break through on Saturday night. Or will we potentially see the champions reign supreme? It all goes down this Saturday night at UFC 276 at the T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas. We'll see you again for UFC 277, but this card will be phenomenal, and of course, it should not be overlooked. So until then, joining me was Alex Henry, and I'm Jake Murren. Enjoy International Fight Week, everyone, and enjoy UFC 276.